welcome to episode 80 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. This episode, we continue our series looking at the working from home experience. And I'm delighted that Dr. Kira Kelly was able to join us once again. And this time, we're looking at the role of leisure and hobbies when we work from home. But first, a couple of news items. I'm not sure if it's news or just self-promotion, but I thought I'd want to share with you that January 2021 was our highest ever month for podcast downloads, and that was by quite a bit. So I'd like to thank all of our listeners for coming on this journey with us. I really didn't think when we recorded our first episode, which still makes me cringe, that would we would be where we are today. So a big thank you for your continued interest. Uh, I really hope uh, that you find what we're sharing useful. And obviously a big thanks to Pilar for all her co-hosting and her podcasting knowledge and support and to Ross for helping us sound so good in your ears. We had some great feedback on last year's free public webinars. You may have attended one. Maybe the timing wasn't right for you. And we got some questions about what we were going to do this year. But rather than simply repeat a program like that, I wanted to do something a little bit different for 2021. So I've started worklifepsych.club. And that's a free online community, which is all about personal development. And uh, within the community, we're going to cover the topics you've heard us discuss here. But because it's an online uh, environment, we can all come together for some discussion and we can provide each other with support and accountability for some of the changes we might want to make. It's very early days as I record this, but we do have new people joining every day, which is great to see. And I hope that if you're interested in your own personal development, you can join us too. It's completely free and you can sign up at www.worklifepsych.club. When we look at the important aspect of our lives represented by our leisure, our hobbies, our rest, there's a few important things to remember. It's really important to intentionally engage in our personal activities. Do things with intent means that we know why we're doing what we're doing. Less automatic behavior. Now, the behavior itself could be anything. Uh, Rest um, can take many forms and it's not a competition. So do what works for you. And on that note, it's really beneficial especially now during a a really challenging period like this pandemic, to avoid comparisons with other people, whether they're close to you or they're on social media. We rarely make an apples with apples comparison. We might just be uh, comparing us with uh, the finished product that we see from someone else. So try and avoid those comparisons if you can. Now, rest doesn't happen automatically and nor does sleep. And uh, spending a lot of time with clients at the moment on this particular topic, it's less about how do I get more done during the day, thankfully, but more about how do I disentangle myself from work when I'm not supposed to be working and how can I rest and how can I improve the quality of my sleep? I think one very general thing to bear in mind is to approach it like the meaningful and important activity 
that it is. Know why you want to do what you want to do and be prepared to make some changes in your routine if that's going to help you relax, if that's going to help you sleep. And something that came out from the conversation with Kira that I found really useful, not all hobbies can be done easily while we're under lockdown. So look at the personal needs that you're trying to satisfy with those hobbies, with those leisure pursuits, and explore alternatives based on the needs. Don't get caught up with what we can't do, but ask yourself what needs you'd like to meet and how you could more flexibly meet those needs with other activities. I hope you'll join us again uh, next time when we explore the importance of proactively exploring and managing our boundaries, which is a really important part of the working from home experience. But until then, thanks for listening. Okay, so I am delighted to be joined once again by Dr. Kira Kelly. Kira, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? All really good. Thank you uh, for making the time for joining us again. Listeners, um, Kira previously joined us on the podcast. This is a return visit. But for those of you who didn't hear that previous episode, Kira, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So um, I am a lecturer and researcher at uh, Sheffield University. I am based in the uh, Institute of Work Psychology. And um, my specialist area of interest is a uh, Well, lots of different aspects of how people's lives outside of work uh, interact with their experiences at work, whether that be their performance, their general well-being. Um, And I've got a specific interest in how their their hobbies and their leisure activities um, can uh, interact with people's um, experiences at work. So really relevant to what we're talking about uh, on the podcast at the moment. So for listeners, this is part of our series looking at the very large topic of what it's like to work from home uh, with a view to sharing some helpful thoughts and and maybe principles and advice on how to make the best of that experience. And we've previously looked at topics like how to maintain and maybe even improve your psychological well-being and your physical well-being and so on. And because it's such a really massive topic, the working from home topic, we're looking at it from these different perspectives. So today I'd really like to leverage your expertise, Kira, and talk a little bit about these these themes of, of hobbies and leisure and recovery um, when we're not at work and maybe with an eye on, on when we are working and doing all of that stuff when we're working from home. But maybe we'll start with with the high level, if that's okay. Tell us a little bit about what what we scientists, what we have discovered and maybe you specifically about the role that hobbies and pastimes play um, when we're not working and maybe in, in disconnecting from work. Yeah, so uh, certainly from my perspective as uh, a work psychologist, it's very much focused on um, sort of what are those relationships between, um, uh, you know, between your, your leisure time and your performance, your well-being within the workplace. There's certainly lots of um, uh, research out there just in terms of um, the specifics around um, the the experience people have of their hobbies. But what we do know in terms of um, how do hobbies help us recover from work, um, that there are a few different things to think about uh, in terms of the way that the 
the, the mechanisms behind how hobbies can be useful and sort of have positive interactions with our experience and work. One of the ways is by helping us to um, detach from our work. So um, in terms of feeling refreshed and recovered um, and kind of getting away from uh, the stresses and the strains of work, uh, being able to sort of feel like you're like mentally and physically detaching uh, from work is one of the most useful things that you can do to sort of feel that then you have a sense that, yes, I've fully recovered. Um, and I think hobbies, um, it's interesting because we've really looked specifically at things like uh, physical activities or social mm. activities, rather than necessarily specifically um, looking at the idea of hobbies or, or recreation. Um, and we do know that obviously within your hobbies, there's often physical elements to it, there's often social elements to it. Um, and those really positively relate to this sense of being detached and um, recovering from your work. And so in preparing for this, uh, listeners will be really transparent. Kira and I had a great chat before we press record. But one of the things that you know really resonated with me was the point that right now, when people are uh, potentially being forced to work from home, it's it's part of the rules. Um, some people have caring responsibilities that mean it's difficult for them to have hobbies. We're not talking about everyone out there has vast tracts of time in the evening and they're twiddling their thumbs and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. Certainly when I'm talking to people about um, the research that I do on, on leisure, it's really interesting because I tend to get a couple of different responses. Um, you know, people who have very active um, hobbies, maybe they're um, uh, earlier on in their career and, uh, you know, they don't have children, for instance, um, are super, super interested in saying, yeah, definitely, these are all really key aspects of my life. And then there's this real challenge uh, for people. And that I would say particularly women um, who find themselves shouldering uh, the vast majority of burden in terms of um, childcare and, uh, and um, you know, household management, mm -hmm. um, that for them, it is a real challenge because much as they would love to get involved in, in more uh, leisure activities, um, the sheer um, burden of life is, is a little bit too much. And so I think it's really important to note that um, while it's, it's really great to find out what those positive interactions between people's hobbies and their work can be, um, that they're not, you know, it's not necessary to have a fulfilling life to go out there and find six different hobbies and um, that people who are doing them are in some way then going to be better prepared for their work. That is definitely not the case. Um, in fact, one of the things that we know is that um, part of the important aspect of what you're doing in your time outside of work is how... Um, what we would call intrinsically motivated are you in terms of what you're doing around that that um, activity? So how much are you doing it because you really you really want to do it? How much are you doing it because it's uh, very enjoyable for you? And so it, it was across the range of activities. So if people reported saying that they found their um, uh, doing the washing up uh, quite intrinsically motivating, that they you know they quite just quite enjoyed it, and and some people do, Richard, I, I hear. Mm. <laughs> um, that that actually that, that meant that uh, spending time doing that activity was um, uh, also had sort of recovering elements to it and would help them disconnect from work. Um, and so it's not to say that uh, you know if you're not going off and uh, playing doubles tennis that you're you know hugely missing out. It, it's a really important point. Um, both the capacity we have through. Uh, as a result of our caring responsibilities to engage in, in hobbies and leisure and pastimes, 
but also their availability this year. And so many people I've worked with this year have reported finding lockdown more difficult, not only because they're working from home, but their usual strategies for dealing with the pressures of work were now forbidden, whether those be socializing outside or going to a gym or um, whatever it is. They weren't able to do that. And it it brought home, I think, to, to lots of people the benefit of having more than one way of dealing with the pressures of work, more than one mechanism or one activity that helps them engage in their their leisure time and and have that recovery from work. Mm, yeah, I think that is such an interesting point and something where um you know, I'm I'm dying to do more research in that area to really dig into that topic of what happens when you are prevented from doing the thing that you normally use um, as a really positive coping mechanism. Certainly, I have a, a background in, in theatre and, um, you know, my heart went out to all of the people who had shows cancelled and mm-hmm. um, various things like that. And I did wonder, you know, what how are they going to, to cope? Because in a situation where you've got extra work demands, extra worries, um, and then suddenly, you know, that's taken away from you, that opportunity. And one of the things that I would sort of suggest around that is that um, we find that one of the things that helps us to stay well and engaged and happy in what we're doing is making sure that we have a certain um, set of basic psychological needs being satisfied on, um, you know, on a regular basis and that mm-hmm. we should watch out for if we feel like those are are, are being sort of stymied in some way. And uh, just specifically, uh, the needs that we tend to talk about most are um, a sort of need for belonging and connection with others, um, a sense of competence uh, in, in the activities that you're doing, and uh, autonomy and, and a sense of control over, um, you know, what you're doing and, and how and when you're, you're you're doing things in life, and obviously those were really being challenged um, yeah. in the last well year, really. Um, but to think about, you know, like you say, are there are there alternative ways of uh, sort of ticking off those those needs? Because we do know that they can, you know, you can compensate um, when they're not being fulfilled in one area of life by um, actively engaging in, in, in other approaches. And we saw people doing that where they were having, you know, Zoom parties uh, to make sure that they were building back in that connection with others, um, people taking up new hobbies, um, particularly if they were maybe furloughed. Suddenly everybody was um, building decking in their garden. Um, and and that- baking bread. And baking bread, absolutely, um, yes. But, but to, you know, to, joking aside, two great examples where you could have something to show at the end of it. You can use or develop new skills, and potentially you're contributing to other people. Specifically, if you give that bread as a gift to someone, or you're you're, you're giving it to your neighbours and so on. There's a bit of connection there. I think it's really useful for for listeners just to consider when I do what I do outside of work. How is it meeting my needs? And and you know when it is to make that explicit link so you can understand why you enjoy doing those things and maybe as you say what other things could I do um, uh, to add to my toolkit uh, that would also meet those needs just in case I'm unable to do some of these things at some point in the future. Yeah, de- definitely, and I think um, having that, um, you know, we have this sort of. I think we feel like we really need to. Um, be 
excelling at things and be productive at things all the time. And that's another sort of caveat I, I put in terms of the, the the research around leisure activities to try and avoid feeling like almost competitive about, you know, oh, yes, I'm productive in my leisure time and in my work time. And um, they make each other even more productive. But to sort of take a very self-compassionate view of, um, you know, doing what you do because, you know, you want to and preserving, again, that intrinsic motivation for doing things um, rather than if I said to you, well, actually, we know that um, physical activity in the evening is linked to uh, feeling more energetic in your work and being more proactive the next day. That may be true. Um, and certainly if your aim is uh, that, you know, okay, well, I'm really wanting to be very proactive and drive things forward in my job at the moment, and that means a lot to me, um, then I might say, okay, well, um, certainly, uh, you know, think about if you're struggling with that, maybe building in a little bit more exercise in the evening would actually be quite helpful for that. Um, but maybe not doing it the other way around where you're sort of trying to figure out all of the best things to do in the evening uh, just to service your work, you know, make sure you get that balance between um, having a sustainable approach to um, how much you're focusing on how it's impacting your work role. And that's kind of a knotty problem, isn't it? Because when we look at the way work can have an impact on our personal lives and vice versa, that, that can work in a positive way. You know, if we use skills we've acquired at work in our personal lives, that can be great. Um, we can take our mood from home into work if it's positive and that can be great. But of course, there can be that negative impact, that negative um, spillover. And, you know, if if we make comparisons which is the other element of this. If we compare ourselves to other people, and there was a lot of that this year, thanks to social media, you know, wondering why am I not baking so much bread and why have I not learned Japanese and, and so on and so on. Um, it, it is about bringing it back to your context. What can I do? What would I like to do? How are these things potentially meeting my needs? And maybe have I transplanted this productivity concept uh, unfairly or unsustainably into my private life? Um, it's not a competition. There's no medals to be given out here at the end of this. I don't think anyone's going to get a certificate for, you know, being fantastic under lockdown. So I, I came across a, an article a couple of weeks ago when I was first thinking about this. It was from it was from last year, actually, pre all of this in Time magazine about the Dutch concept of doing nothing. And I fell in love with it because it's intentional not doing anything as part of your, your downtime. So reading counts as doing something. Gardening is doing something. But just having a time when you're not actively trying to achieve anything as a relaxation technique, as a way of winding down, something really attractive about that because we can't be doing, doing, doing all the time. Mm, yeah. And I think that's that's a really uh, going to be an increasingly talked about topic i was i was interviewed for a, a an article in um popular science magazine about exactly that um how do you do nothing um that is um a bit of a challenge for people and yeah. um and doing nothing i i think it's a really interesting topic because uh the act of doing nothing can be 
on the one hand, perhaps mindfulness, um, you know, where you're, you're just sort of being aware of what's going on around you. And oh, we have, you know, quite a buildup of research saying, you know, there's lots of really positive aspects to that kind of mindfulness. Um, but it also could be um, linked to sort of boredom where you're being, um, uh, you know, you're prevented by your context from doing something that you would rather be doing uh, and therefore feeling a little bit, um, you know, unsatisfied and, uh, you know, sort of fidgety about like, well, what I'm, mm. I'm, I'm sat here in my only option. So for me, I, I, I managed to break my ankle, um, in September this year, uh, which was just at the beginning of the second lockdown. I thought, oh, I've, I've given myself a double lockdown here. I'm, I'm not just Good restricted timing. to my house. Yes. But <laughs> to my, to my own couch. Um, I had a lot of time to think about this topic. Um, and it is, it is a, I think giving ourselves permission to enjoy um, doing nothing, but I think there's personality aspects to that too. The extent to which yes. uh, people enjoy just um, uh, switching off, or the opposite, people enjoy just thinking about things in their own heads. Um, you know, the the extent to which people like um, uh, what we call have a need for cognition. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so you know, uh, I, I love what you're saying about the reflection aspect, Richard, because I think that is that is spot on. Um, the extent to which you know, you take these pieces of advice that we're giving and this information about sort of thinking about needs and, and thinking about activities and how it impacts your work. Um, but then really thinking about, well, which parts of these are true for me? Which parts of yeah. these relate to my specific goals? And if they don't, then being happy enough to say, oh, well, that doesn't that doesn't actually seem to relate to my specific context for whatever reason um, and being happy with that exactly it's thinking it through and context is king you know it's super important to think about your context but why do something if you don't authentically want to do it and you don't see it's meeting any of your needs and it's activity that you don't really need and if there's one thing none of us really need right now it's more tasks and projects you know Mm -hmm. so um i think maybe there was a bit of social comparison with some of that stuff this year a bit of well i'll try something because i can't you know go out for meals so i'll try and make something but I, I, with this series, I'd really like people to look to the future, uh, maybe learn from 2020, but think, well, if I'm going to work from home more, what will I intentionally do at the end of the working day to demarcate it a little bit? And where does my leisure fit into this? And, uh, you know, what role does that play in, in my self-concept, my identity? And last week, I, you, you popped into my mind uh, because I knew we were going to have this conversation. Listeners, we do plan these things. Um, but... I was watching a documentary about um, people in the U.S. who whose hobby is cosplay. They dress up as people from from uh, films and comics and, and TV shows, and they go to conventions to show off their costumes. And the, it was you know really well done, and the interviews were really touching. But the one common thread was when people were asked okay, why do you do this? You know, why have you walked 20 blocks through Manhattan dressed as Doctor Strange? The answer for lots of people was, oh, it just allows me to do something so different from my day job. And it's that uh, letting myself be absorbed by this passion because it's nothing like what I get paid to do. And I thought that was a really interesting trend there. To what extent is, you know, not, not dressing up, but to what extent do people engage with things because they are so different from work? And is that actually beneficial for us? Do we know that? Yeah, so we did a little bit of, of research on that and looking at um, the 
there are different views that you can take from sort of the theory of how how does uh, do we make sense of our our sort of leisure time and our work time and you know what do we prefer and obviously from the basis of what I've said about detachment you might think okay yeah well um, something very different is definitely going to allow you to detach and to to recover better and um, from that perspective it would be a really useful and positive thing. Um, but then on the flip side, um, as you mentioned earlier about like positive spillover, that when you're doing something that's quite similar to your work, then that could be um, that could be quite quite useful as well because you're you're doing especially if you like your work because then you're just doing more of the kind of activities that you like. Um, so we we had a look at this to see if it um, sort of had a. a well, a positive or a, a, a negative effect on people, depending on how similar or different their their activities were. And we found that it really depended on um, how sort of intensely they engaged in their activities. So um, if you were very serious about your hobbies, um, as some people uh, do take a much more um, uh, well, in, intense view of uh, they're very committed to their hobby. Um, they really want to build up their skills in it. Um, they are happy to do it even if it has kind of negative consequences on other parts of their lives, whether that be because of the time it takes or uh, mm. the resources uh, that they're still, it, it means that much to them. Um, in that case, it can be, um, if you're if you're that into your hobby, uh, then it is helpful if it is not similar to your work from the point of view that um it seems to be that's that's too much of such intensity. Um, whereas on the flip side, um, if you're not that intense about it, it can be quite good if it is um, similar to your work. That seemed to be what we found anyway in our in our um, specific piece of research that if you're spending more time than you would normally in a particular hobby, that either um, it seems to be particularly beneficial if you if it was very different and you were very intense about your hobby or if it was uh, very similar but you know you were you kind of just just kind of did it and you weren't too serious about it so you just think about those kind of um different levels of interaction which we thought was really interesting that's really interesting absolutely because you could see how you know using your skills uh, in your hobby could be a positive thing, but if they're the exact same skills you're using nine to five or nine to six or whatever it is to get, and you get paid for those things, you, you, demarcation between the personal and the professional might become a little bit more difficult. And I can see why people would want to do things that were a little bit different. And the need for cognition pieces just popped into my head, ironically, <laughs> because, you know, if you have a very cognitively demanding job, it can be good to do things outside of work that don't place similar demands on you. Um, or maybe that you say, well, actually I'm, I'm a smart cookie and I'm going to use my smarts in a, in a hobby that demands that of me. I think we're back to the point of reflection. What needs does it meet? And um, what are the costs associated with this in the truest sense, the time, uh, relationship, um, uh, money, <laughs> all of these costs um, are, are they are they worth it when you you do that evaluation yourself? Yeah, and I think just adding on to that, one of the the ways that we approached this question in our research was looking at the amount of time people were investing in it, um, and whether it was more than usual or less than usual. And so, um, you know, the advice that I would come out of from that research for people is not necessarily that like if you if you listen to what I just said and thought oh my god I'm very intense about my hobby and it's very similar to my work should I quit one or the other um, and the answer is no thankfully um, but really to think about if 
um, just thinking about your cosplayers there. If um, there is a convention coming up and, you know, a particular costume that you really want to, you know, nail down and you, you're going to, you know that you're going to be um, spending and you want to spend more time than you normally would on this particular hobby. And that's great because it's a, you know, it's a really great time, the convention. Um to think about how that falls uh, in relation to the job that you do so that knowing that it might be a bit of a challenge to balance them at that point, uh, to do whatever you can if you have flexibility, to to use that flexibility. Um, so, and that, that could be something that's even more possible now when people are some people are working from home um, mm. to sort of think actually where it might have been challenging before to have these similarities. Uh, you know, I really wanted to do this hobby, but it was um, it was a bit uh, too much in relation to the job that I was doing, which I also loved. Um, maybe people are more able to actually leverage that flexibility going forward so that they can, they can, you know, throw themselves at both, but in a way that there's give and take on both sides. And it's, it's periodic as well. It's not an ongoing situation, probably, um, where you're, you're, you're doing it by choice and you're intentionally digging deep uh, in both of those areas uh, for a period of time to maybe achieve something, meet a goal, whatever it might be. And that makes, that makes absolute sense. And I think it echoes what we'd, we'd said previously about intention. I, I, I choose to do this rather than, oh, I wake up one morning and I found that this is how things have turned out and I'm a bit miserable about it. Now, realizing not everyone can um, go into their garden shed and whip up a really impressive Dr. Strange costume, nor, nor does everyone want to, um, you know, broadly, more broadly speaking, leisure, um, if not specific hobbies that you can quantify, but our leisure time when we're not working, um, what's a useful way to, to conceptualize that? What's a useful way for people to think about their leisure time and making, making that distinction from work and how it can contribute to a, a positive experience of working from home? What should people bear in mind? Well, I think one of the things that you might have touched upon before is um, thinking about the extent to which they do have preferences around having very distinct um, boundaries between their um, their work time and their leisure time. Uh, so for some people, um, they're quite high, what we would call integrators, and um, they're perfectly happy actually to sort of go back and forth uh, between um, work and leisure time and, um, you know, dropping to calls or emails. Uh, and they see it as something where they just have this natural um, uh, back and forth and, that's great. That's they're mm -hmm. quite happy with that. Other people are what we would call segmenters, um, and it's more of a continuum. So it's not like you're a total integrator or a segmenter, but these are the the extremes. Um, and but if you're high on a sort of um, preference for segmentation, you would really want to have clear boundaries, and will find it quite upsetting if uh, and it would really you know interrupt the sort of um, your sense of well being if you find that you can't uh, walk away from your, say, work identity and move into uh, whatever other roles you do outside of work. Um, mm. And so, you know, there's lots of things that um, uh, you can 
you can do to help with that. Um, and I think, again, you might have um, mentioned this before, but things like, um, if possible, uh, to, you know, physically distance yourself uh, from your work. So some people talk about how if they're lucky enough to have an office space at home that, you know, shutting the door to that, that's it, their, their work day is over. Um, I think smartphones now have the option where you can um, uh, tell it you'll have no more of those email um uh, notifications after a certain time. So, you know, looking into that, but then also just really, um, I think giving yourself the permission to plan and enjoy things, um, in your non-work yes. time and main, mm-hmm. and then just not feeling bad about that. Um, and knowing that actually not feeling bad about it and just going for it is likely to actually be good in the long run for your, um, performance at work for um you know it's being well recovered from um your days at work are 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 linked to all sorts of positive things including things um like helping behaviors so the extent to which you feel you can and want to give a hand to your your peers at work to your colleagues Um, and so you know I would say give yourself a pat on the back if you're managing to, you know, like I say, plan things, do things and and let yourself enjoy them. Um, that sense of guilt uh, can really get in the way of getting those those positive impacts. It's really unhelpful, isn't it? You know, guilt leads us to be annoyed at ourselves for not doing something while not doing it. <laughs> and, and it's time consuming and it sort of takes up a lot of space in our minds and mm-hmm isn't isn't helping us get to where we want to be I, I really like that perspective um deciding that you're going to do things and not feeling guilty that they've somehow crept into your schedule and it's something that comes up in in coaching for me all the time with on this this sort of general area of what people would refer to as their work-life balance you know many people specifically knowledge workers live by their calendar and everything is scheduled within an inch of their lives uh, professionally. And then it's somehow, well, if I can get everything else done at home, that's fine. Instead of, well, you know, these things you want to do, why don't they go in your calendar? Why don't you demonstrate to yourself you want to make some space for them? And I'm not talking climbing mountains. You know, I want to block out an hour at the weekend to watch that show I've missed for the last few weeks. I really want to make sure I see that. Or I'm going to block out an hour here to make some phone calls with friends that I haven't spoken to for a while. So rather than I'll look at that stuff when everything else I'm guilty about gets done, it's actually, no, I I want to make sure that that's on my list. It's on my schedule and it's as deserving to get my time and attention as the the work-related stuff. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I found fascinating when I started looking into these these topics was one of the really positive elements around work-family interactions that um, doesn't... um, you don't see in in the beyond um, family domain, as we call it, but basically um, that one of the positive elements of uh, having having children and um, having caring responsibilities is that uh, people tend to report the fact that once they do have children, they're you know they're very focused on the fact that they now have multiple very, as far as they're concerned, very important priorities, um, and they're happy with the idea that um, you know work doesn't and can't take total precedence they have to go and um make sure there's there's food and that they're you know they're they're helping with homework and these are quite rightly um very important on their scale of 
activities they will do that day. And therefore, work has to be compartmentalized. And as a result, a lot of people report um, that they find themselves becoming much more efficient than they ever felt they were before, just because that is that is it. They're, as far as they're concerned, there isn't a choice. Um, now, we could talk about the extent to which, you know, people can eventually become burned out if they're trying to do too many things. But um, mm. I think the basic idea there in terms of um, people... Uh, feel like they can give themselves permission to to do that compartmentalization and as you say sort of say okay well these are the things I feel I need to get done um they either get done but I need to move on to this next thing in my life um and I feel like uh for people particularly who are maybe um don't have children or are single live on their own um I think there's an increasing number of people who are now trying to um uh, have a life outside of work while living on their own um, and not mm-hmm. maybe having children and not feeling like they can put things in their diary because, you know, it's not as valid to go and meet up with a friend as it would be to be helping a child with homework. And, you know, if if you're able to be more efficient by just really putting your foot down, then it's maybe something worth trying. This speaks to the diversity of this as well. We need we need to acknowledge that there's a, a hugely diverse workforce out there. <clears throat> Home situation will be very different from person to person. We've talked about personality. We've talked about boundary management preferences, whether you're an integrator or a segregator. Um, where you live in the country will, will play a role here. What's possible to do outdoors versus indoors. And um, the, the, the time that you work, whether you're a shift worker and if you work nights, um, you know, what's available to you when you're not working. So there's an awful lot in here and I, I don't want any listeners to walk away from this saying, well, you haven't given me top three things to do, lads. What's the point of listening to this? I don't know how to do this from now on. But I would summarize it with, with a couple of things intentionality am i am i getting stuck in to my non-work life intentionally and deciding what i'm going to do and deciding if i'm going to do or do nothing but i'm deciding to do that rather than i'm kind of collapsing in a heap and i'll be like this until it's time to start work again and the second big thing that's come out for me from what you've said kira is the needs and which of my needs are important and which of my needs are being met and how is my leisure time and my hobbies how are they measuring uh meeting those needs and probably the third one for me is is really important that what's possible for us to do outside of work um let's put 2020 behind us if at all possible but let's look at things like caring responsibilities and and what form they take and what time is left for people to engage in leisure and hobby activities um and i hope we haven't left anyone with the impression that they should now be you know baking loads of bread and making costumes but to maybe turn their thoughts to what leisure is for them and how they can really enjoy it while they're doing it and not feel guilty um, and how they can, as we've you know discussed, look at their boundaries between work and home and, and do that in an intentional way and, and work at boundary management rather than having it be done to them. Kira, difficult question. Anything else you'd throw into the mix that you really want people to take away from this discussion? Yeah, no, I would. Cause I was thinking when you're saying, well, what practical things can people do? I was thinking, well, um, Probably what I would suggest, because we've talked about intentionality and it's quite 
easy for us to say, reflect on that. Um, and I think particularly as psychologists, we're chronic reflectors. Um, it's true. It's not so easy maybe for, for uh, everyone across the population. Um, but one way to do it might be to just um, take a period of time and just keep a little diary of um, you know, what you're doing in your free time or, you know, in your evenings and how you feel like that's affected you um, or not. Um, And then maybe over time, start building in things that you, if there were things that you felt like you would like to do, but you didn't have time or you didn't have the energy um, to actually give those a go. And then with it, you know, keep a note of, did it actually make you feel more tired or uh, actually maybe energize you? Because one of the things we know is sometimes our beliefs about the impact something is going to have um, can have more of an impact than doing it. And so putting those aside and actually just just having a look and seeing, um, you know, because as we know, exercise can make us feel more energized, um, but we don't necessarily believe that in the moment. So maybe... Yeah, spend a couple of weeks, um, just keep a little diary about um, uh, so that you can then be intentional uh, about what works for you and what doesn't. I think that's a great idea because it's about getting that stuff out of your mind and onto the page and then you can do something with it once it's written down and it maybe encourages you to pay more attention to what's actually happening. And maybe one practical thing for me would be something that I've discussed with coaches this year, um, the simple act of making a list of things you want to do that are not work-related. And for some people that's, oh, I'm going to make a list of books I want to to read. And not in a competitive, overwhelming, I'm going to read the great works this year. But, you know, when I have a moment, these are the books I, I want to read over time, or this is the list of films I want to watch or TV shows I want to watch at some point. Because you, you're moving it from vague aspiration to something more akin to a plan. So when you do get a slice of time, you go, actually, no, I'm going to go and pick up that book because I've made that sort of commitment to myself that it was something I wanted to do. And that doesn't imply you need to read it all tonight. It might be just the 15 minutes you have between other commitments in life. So Kira, um, thank you so much for your time. It's been really, really good uh, to talk about leisure while we're working. But anyway, that's <laughs> I guess that's your life, uh, talking a lot about leisure while working. Um, but thank you. It's, it's always nice uh, to talk with you. And it's been great to cover this topic as part of our, our working from home. Um, I'll share a link to your online presence in the, in the show notes. But I really would love to hear from our listeners what they think about this interaction, uh, the intentionality piece, what, what role hobbies and leisure play in their lives and maybe what they've experienced as someone who's been working from home what difference has that made and uh, either if you can fit all of that in a tweet well done and you can send that to us at my pocket psych or you can send us a longer message via the contact form worklifepsych.com slash contact so kira thank you so much again thanks for your time and uh, everyone out there thank you for listening Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.